30 separate times about every 10 weeks on this podcast over six years, I picked five stocks. I chose a theme that made sense to me at the time, sometimes sublime, sometimes silly. And then I thought to myself, what are the five best stock recommendations that I can come up with to fit that theme? Aiming, of course, always to beat the market, the S&P 500. Otherwise, hey, why are we bothering? And then one year later, we review the picks. What was the theme again? How are the stocks doing? How are they doing versus the market? And more important for our learning, our way of thinking, why have the stocks done what they've done? A one-year review. And then another year passes, the two-year review. Yep, two years later, we, we never forget. We hope you wouldn't also. We score everything transparently and accountably because we're fools. You should expect that of us. And then the three-year review, which is going to be the most telling, right? Well, first, because three years have passed since I picked those five stocks, and we really can be smarter about what has happened and why and what we can learn over that meaningful period of time. And, you know, that's the smarter part, getting smarter about that. But if I've done my job well, then, hey, we'll also be happier and richer, too. Now, that three-year review is also telling because most of the time we end the game right there. We're going to keep holding those stocks in real life, mind you. You should too if you own them. But if I kept reviewing all 30 of my samplers in years four and five and six, etc., we wouldn't have time to do much else on this podcast. Well, 30 separate times I've picked five stocks, what I've also called my five stock samplers, and we're going to review three of those samplers this week. Five stocks that will press on five stocks for conscious capitalism, and five stocks that got trouble. Review them we will with my three analysts, my guest stars this week, Alicia Alfieri, Asit Sharma, and Yasser El-Shami. Shall we get started? Let's go! Only on this week's Rule Breaker Investing. It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner. Welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. I'm excited this week to be reviewing how our five stock samplers have done. You know, it's a funny discipline being a stock picker. You would know this too, I hope, dear listener, and many of us do at The Motley Fool. I'm a big sports fan, and when something amazing happens in sports, the feedback is instant. The crowd stands up and cheers. The athlete usually gets to do a dance, depending on what sport we're talking about. Everybody celebrates. It's all over the news that night, highlights, final score, we all know it. What you and I do, fellow fool, as investors, is the exact opposite. We take actions that we hope will win, that we think might be exciting, but we don't know five seconds later if it worked. We don't know a day later. We don't know usually a year or two or three later if we did it right. Did it work? But when it does work, I do like to celebrate it because this is our moment. This is our time as non-athletes to do a little dance, to put some numbers up on the scoreboard, and to cheer. And I'm really happy to say that this week, with three more five-stock samplers being reviewed, stocks picked exactly one year ago this week, two years ago this week, and three years ago this week, well, we're going to do a lot of scoring and learning especially about one of these samplers, the final one we review this week, because it is the final time that we will review it. Three years are up, and so five stocks that got trouble will be retired today for good. Yep, of the 30 samplers I selected on this podcast, that sampler, the 16th, will head to Fulhalla, the Valhalla where each of the sampler heroes, whether hero or goat, eventually retires. Yep, Fulhalla, the honored hall festive with mead, to which all 30 of these samplers shall one day ascend. And so five stocks that got trouble will arrive in Fulhalla at the end of this podcast to join its brethren and sistren, the 15 that have already gone before. But brief reflections on performance before we get started with the first of our five stock samplers. First, I'd like to say that of the 16 that have ascended to Fulhalla, I'm really happy to say 14 of those 16 have beaten the market. Yep, spoiler alert, I'm including the one that we send off to Fulhalla today. So 14 of the 16 have beaten the market. Two did not. That's a hit rate. That's an accuracy that I cannot possibly maintain and that astonishes me. But it is all real, and it did happen. 
And of those first 16 retired samplers, maybe even better, here's my favorite stat, nine of those 16 have actually returned 100% or more. Now that performance ain't too shabby given that most of these last for only about three years. And often a single stock can sink a group of five with a really bad performance. It's hard to maintain high accuracy hit rate for these. It's even harder to maintain a triple digit return rate, but I'm really happy to say, well, it's happened nine of the 16 times. In fact, a little later this week, I think I'll tweet out the list of Fool Halla samplers. So if you follow me on Twitter at David G. Fool, I will put out a graphic with the names of the 16 and the performances of each, including those two losers, because yes, we're transparent and we publish all our losers as well. Anyway, let's cue it up here. In fact, let's crank up the Wayback Music Machine right now, because even though it was just a year ago, well, it's been quite a year, and it was a year ago. So let's go back in time and start to reflect on the five stocks picked a year ago this week. All right, well, the day was November 11th, 2020. On that day, because I keep a calendar of what I did every day for the last decade plus, I can tell you that I just celebrated my wife's birthday the night before, and we had one of those, let's go to a restaurant. I know this sounds crazy in November of 2020, but let's sit outdoors. It'll be dark. It was cold. We're in Washington, D.C. in mid-November, and yet I still remember the joy of having a few friends together, all with masks, even outdoors, celebrating my wife's birthday. So that's what I was coming off of as I picked five stocks that will press on. And joining me to cover these five stocks is my friend, Alicia Alfieri. Alicia, welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. Thanks. So glad to be here. Yeah. And I'm just so glad to have you looking over these stocks because while it's one thing to pick them, the real work comes in doing some research about why they've done what they've done. And this is a fun group of five stocks to look at. Alicia, five stocks that will press on. Do you remember why we use that phrase or the theme? Not that you need to. I do. It was from uh, Calvin Coolidge. Uh, Nothing in the world can take the place of persistence was the quote. So the idea here is to press on through the good times, press on through the bad times, just keep going, keep trying, keep building, and keep growing. Love it. There's kind of an Energizer, NVIDIA, Gerizer bunny going on there that I I truly appreciate. And I'm so glad we used that theme because it did feel where I was spiritually and where a lot of us were. And not to say we're not still there. There's a lot of pressing on that still needs to, to happen as we enter this new year of 2022. It felt right at the time. And I wanted to pick five stocks that that really embody that. Companies that have been there, done that, been resilient through long periods of time. So those are five stocks that will press on. Now, we're about to start that review, Alicia, but I've got an icebreaker question for each of my analysts today. I guess I'll answer it at some point myself. So my question for you, Alicia, is what is something remarkable about you that most people probably don't know? Well, I don't know if it's remarkable, but I I like to write. And I have written a children's book for my nephew, unpublished, of course, Um, but I wrote it for him and it was called Larry the Left Sock. So it's about a a sock that loses his way. He's separated from his other half, from his his pack, um, and he learns to make friends. (laughs) That is wonderful. And, you know, because it's not published yet, uh, you may not want to answer this question, but would you give us kind of a little bit of a spoiler alert on the ending? <laughs> well, I will ruin the ending for you. After much rhyming and a lot of adventure, he does meet up with his other half and the rest of his pack. So a happy ending. That is delightful. I, it is a kid's story, but you know, we're all kids at heart. We like happy endings. That makes me feel whole that the left sock hangs out with the right sock somewhere near <laughs> the end. That's lovely. Thank you for sharing that, Alicia. And I hope that gets published one day. And I know you're <laughs> In the meantime, your family's enjoying it. Good for you. Thank you. Well, let's have a little talk about this set of five stocks, five stocks that will press on. And the first thing I always like to do is just mention how the stock market itself has done over the last year. And so I'll just MC this. You'll be adding the intelligence, but I'll be talking numbers, Alicia. And so here are the numbers. The facts are that since November 11th, 2020, through market close today, we are recording at the end of the day, Tuesday, November 16th, 2021. The S&P 500 is up 31.6%. 
I'd say, wow, what a year for the market. Agreed. Incredible. And if we could have every year that the S&P would go up by about a third in value, we would all be a lot richer than we even ever will be, no matter how well we do, because that is a remarkable year. So that's the bogey. That is the goal that we're trying to beat with these five stocks, 31.6%. So the company names alphabetically were the following, Canadian National Railway, Cirrus Logic, Echolab, Old Dominion Freightline, and Zebra Technologies. Five stocks that will press on. We're not going to cover their individual stories again. I do encourage anybody to go back, Google five stocks that will press on, and listen to the podcast a year ago to learn more about these companies. We're here more to account for them. And Alicia, you're going to explain why the heck they've done what they've done. Well, it is our tradition to start with the worst performers. So let's go to ticker symbol CRUS. I am kind of happy to say the worst performer is still up. It's up 5.2% as of market close today. Unfortunately, the market's up 31.6%. So we started in the hole about 26 percentage points. Alicia, what has or has not happened with Cirrus Logic? Yeah. So first, let's talk about what Cirrus Logic is. So it's a fabulous semiconductor chip designer, which means they outsource their manufacturing. And they're best known for audio and voice processing chips and smartphones. So let's talk about the big issues that they experience. Uh, like many in the semiconductor segment, they face supply chain issues. And as a result, demand outpaced supply. Also, their largest customer is Apple, and they supply iPhones audio integrated circuits. But with that comes a kind of seasonality because there's often a ramping up of components just ahead of new smartphone launches. Mm. But Cirrus has been working to grow beyond their audio domain. So even though they didn't quite beat the market, um, they've been moving and growing and pressing on. They're moving into their mixed signal business, which supplies things like camera controllers, sensing chips, and fast charging components. And they've been making great progress here. Mixed signal revenues increased about 118% year over year for the first six months of their fiscal year. And this diversified growth, along with seasonal demand from smartphone launches, drove revenue gains of 26% year over year for the first half of their 2022 fiscal mm. year. So this story about pushing forward isn't anywhere near close to being finished. And it is somewhat ironic that we're talking about pressing on. It's just one year later. I mean, it. this is certainly too early to judge this, this sampler. That said, a year counts. I mean, a lot has happened in the last year. It's interesting to see which ones are doing well. And sometimes the ones that aren't doing as well, it's not even really their fault. I mean, the supply chain problems are affecting a lot of companies. Service Logic, as you mentioned, Alicia, have you, do you own a smartphone? I got to believe the answer is yes. <laughs> yes, definitely. Have you bought a new one within the last year? Or are you still using what you had 13 months ago? I bought one just before the pandemic, so I have not. But my parents just bought some new phones. Excellent. So they're helping Cirrus Logic in their own way a little <laughs> bit. You know, I have to admit, the first seven or eight iPhones, I think I bought the new one each time. But somewhere around seven, eight, or nine, I started going, you know, I don't need that. I can wait two years maybe for a second cycle. So that's sort of where I am now. But I'm definitely always looking to upgrade, and I know Apple and Cirrus Logic benefit. Well, again, the market up. We'll round it to 32%, Cirrus Logic up 5%, so it's in the hole. Let's go from the worst performer to the best performer. This is a little bit of a surprise, I think. Not all of us would think a trucking company would be up over 80% in the past year, but Old Dominion Freightline, ticker symbol ODFL, is up from $198 a share a year ago to $361 today. That's 82.5%. That's basically 51 percentage points on the market averages. Alicia, what is going so well for Old Dominion Freightline? Yeah. And so before we dive in, I just want to say Old Dominion delivers less than a truckload of goods to destinations throughout the continental U.S., Mexico, and Canada. Uh, so for the first nine months of the year, revenues were up almost 31% year over year, and that's due to strong domestic economy and massive demand for their services. But they've had challenges too, and the interesting thing here is how they've pushed through them. Uh, so we know that a shortage of truck drivers has been an issue in the supply chain. Old Dominion has increased starting salaries, 
given signing bonus to attract mm. employees. Uh, they've also used third parties to supplement some of the capacity challenges that they've had for both people and their fleet. But they plan on reducing their reliance on these third parties as they continue to hire people and as they receive their new or replacement equipment. That's great. And, you know, this is a company that, um, first of all, it's a $41 billion company today. So a lot of people, I mean, I recognize Old Dominion Freightline because it's, when I'm watching Major League Baseball and like the postseason, I'm seeing their brand up there. They are a partner of Major League Baseball. So some of us may have got to know the brand that way. But I think a lot of people probably still unaided wouldn't be able to identify Old Dominion Freightline, which is based in the state of Virginia, Southern Virginia much about the company, but it has a remarkable history. And I do appreciate, Alicia, how you're underlying the pressing on, push on nature of each of these companies, speaking to, of course, to our theme. And uh, when we think about trucks, uh, I'm, we're often hearing that there's a shortage of truck drivers, but then other people say there's not really a shortage of truck drivers. But one thing's for sure, the difficulty of what Old Dominion Freightline does far exceeds many of its peers in the industry. You mentioned that less than truckload logistics capability of this company, it really does focus on you know making multiple deliveries. Like, I mean, you're filling up the back of the truck, not just with one good going from one point A to one point B. Nope. You're filling it up with like eight different things going to eight different points. And so in a lot of ways, technology is what enables Old Dominion Freightline to make these multiple deliveries in a way that raises their margins and the difficulty of competing with them because they're so doggone good at LTL trucking. So really like this company. Alicia, I know we're delighted. This is a stock advisor pick of some vintage. Keeps beating the market, not just for Motley Fool stock advisor members, but if you look at the history of this company, yeah, it's been resilient, pressing on and winning for, for decades. So delighted that this one is the top performer one year later. That leaves us with three others. And I always leave it to my analysts to pick and choose what they want to speak to. Let's talk about just the performance of the three others. Uh, we have two other losers, Echolab and Canadian National Railway, unable to keep up with that 32 percentage point boost in the S&P 500. I mean, trucks, I guess, move faster than trains, at least they have from a, uh, an investment return standpoint. But Canadian National up 19 percent, Echolab up 11 percent, so distantly behind the S&P 500. Do you want to say anything about them or about the one other winner here, Alicia? Zebra Technologies up 70 percent against the market averages. Ooh, if I could, I'd love to talk about Zebra. And I would love you to do so. In fact, I do think focusing on what's winning is probably a better use of our time in general than what's losing. We always show all our losers and three of these five stocks are losing to the market after our first year. But I think often we can learn from what's working and build on that success in our portfolio. So what is working, I'm going to ask, at Zebra Tech? Sure. So first, let's talk about what Zebra does. So Zebra might make you think of barcodes, and you'd be half right. So barcodes and other products that Zebra designs, like scanners, mobile computing devices, and real-time locating systems are used in asset tracking. Most of 2020 was challenging for Zebra, but that turned around in the fourth quarter of 2020, as many businesses that had closed or paused in the middle of the year due to COVID started to really come back. This year, Zebra Zebra has shown growth with revenues increasing 32% year over year for the first nine months of 2021. Hmm. And that was driven by broad-based demand as more and more businesses digitize, optimize, and automate workflows. And Zebra actually believes the pandemic accelerated a lot of the trends that are beneficial to their business, like the desire to track data across the all-important supply chain. Really well said. And you're right, the supply chain, which is all important, we're all realizing that now toward the end of 2021. I mean, there are other important things too, but wow, some of us were probably underrating the importance of logistics and supply chains, but Zebra, that's their business. And so I'm delighted to know that this leader in its field continues not just to win as a business. You mentioned that 32% revenue gain, but you know, the market was up 32%, speaking of 32 over the last year, and Zebra stock up 70%. Well, let's do the final accounting for this first year review of this first five stock sampler. Alicia, five stocks that will press on one year later up 37.6% as a group, averaging their five gains together. And that's against the market's 31.6%. So we are ahead pressing on ahead of the market by 6.0 percentage points per stock one year later. 
instructive to note that actually only two of the five is actually beating the market, but sometimes, right, that one winner or those two big winners can just pull everybody up forward. A great lesson we're always reteaching here at Rule Breaker Investing. Alicia, I want to thank you very much for throwing some intelligence out our way. And when another year passes, let's talk about this together in year two. I'll be really curious to see what happens with the supply chain, which really does affect, well, I mean, think about the trucks and the trains that are in this five-stock sampler and then Cirrus and Zebra affected by it. So everything is tied together. Everything is connected. And uh, I'm always reminded that whenever I look at one company, I start to realize, well, actually, that company is dependent on these other factors, some of which are other companies we could research. Others are factors they can't even control. We're all just sometimes getting wagged by the tail of whatever happened in the last 12 months. Alicia Alfieri, thank you for joining me. See you soon. Thanks for having me. Bye. All right. Well, one down, two to go. The next five-stock sampler was picked, well, one year ago before that or two years ago this week. And I think we need to go even farther back, Rick Engdahl, into time. In fact, the day was November 13th of 2019. And what was what was I doing that week? Well, this time every year for years now, we've done our all-company offsite, which we call Foolapalooza. It's sort of a celebration of the year that was and a reconnection point. A lot of us, especially these days, aren't seeing each other that often. But even back in 2019, I was playing golf that week at Foolapalooza with an Australian fool and a Colorado fool. So even before pandemic, we were reconnecting or in some cases connecting for the first time at Foolapalooza. Ironically, although maybe not, that's what we're about to do this week. After I do this podcast, we'll be celebrating Foolapalooza at the Motley Fool this week, virtually, sadly, still. I will point out that was my last round of golf that I I haven't played any golf in a couple of years, which just means, A, I'm not a very good golfer, and B, I probably should get back out and play golf at some point. But shout out to my Australian friend, Aaron Shaw, and my Colorado friend, Matt Ellis. We had a lot of fun that threesome two years ago. But also happening that week was Five Stocks for Conscious Capitalism. And I want to welcome my friend, Asit Sharma, a longtime Motley Fool contributor, a fellow Tar Heel and Asit, your debut here on Rule Breaker Investing. I'm just delighted to have you with me. Same, David. I'm thrilled to be with you today. Thank you. And do you remember what you were doing two years ago this week? Why would you? I need to look at my calendar to know. This is an unfair question. You know, I am sure that I was walking somewhere on a sidewalk around this time of year. I take a mini assessment of where the year has gone. Wow. And I either finish with a big smile on my face. It's been a good year. I've achieved something of what I set out to do or a slight frown. Like I got to do better. So (laughs) somewhere in there that week, there was a walk in the woods where I was trying to take stock of my life. Oh, good for you. I'm just delighted. You're reminding me how much deeper I could be as a person if I just spent a little bit of time reflecting a little bit more often. But thank you, Asif, for sharing that. And, you know, speaking of questions where I'd like you to share a little bit more, I think, you know, the icebreaker question this particular week, on Rule Breaker Investing, I asked Alicia, I will ask you, Asit Sharma, what is something remarkable about you that most people probably don't know? So David, there is one thing. I don't know if it qualifies as remarkable, but it is different about me. I have been experimenting with a pasta sauce for, I would say, the last 30 years. <laughs> I'm trying to find the right combination of just a wonderful Italian red tomato fresh tomato taste combined with an Indian curry taste. I The working title is Red Raja. <laughs> that has Love some, it. like colonial connotation. So that's not going to be the actual name <laughs> when I finally put this in the stores. <laughs> but I am forever working on this recipe. Uh, sort of every few months, I come back to it and serve it up to my family and they, they wow. give me some pointers. <laughs> A lot of people are hearing that for the very first time right now in this podcast. And probably you'd have some buyers if you want to set up, stand up a quick URL, Red Raja, you may not want to go there.com, although it is alliterative, which is can be winning from a brand standpoint. But Asit, I have to admit, my mouth is slightly watering now as a consequence of you simply saying that on this podcast. Glad that I could make you hungry, David. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of mouths watering, this is a really bad transition. Let's look at how the stock market has done over the last two years. I'm delighted to say that the stock market over the last two years is up 51.8% from November 13th, 2019, to the day we're recording here, Tuesday, November 16th. And so let's just start with wow. I mean, Asit, 
Were you expecting the market two years ago to go up 52%? By the way, including a global pandemic nobody really knew about two years later? Yeah, this is something that was unexpected to me, but I have a terrible track record with this kind of thing. I waited after the 2008-2009 Great Recession period for the market to uh, implode again before it started going up, and it showed me that uh, the market is going to do what it wants to do. Mm. I can only try to find great companies to ride along whatever the wave is. Eventually, they'll do well, hopefully. Really well said, Asad, and you're reminding me of one of the core tenets of foolishness, which is that we're focusing on the companies, not on the market. We're thinking about being a part owner of one of these five stocks, or maybe all five of them. I'm about to say their names, but we're focused on the companies and what they do and thinking that over the long term, we're going to win. And so let's see if we did with five stocks for conscious capitalism. Now, you know, insert mini stump speech about conscious capitalism and its four tenets, except I've done that before in this podcast, and anybody can and should Google the phrase conscious capitalism if you don't know about companies that have a higher purpose above profits, that are trying to win for all stakeholders, not just one group, that embody conscious leadership, which I often think of as servant leadership, and finally, the fourth tenet, that have conscious cultures, that have cultures that have been created, crafted, done intentionally to make these great places to work. So many of these companies that embody conscious capitalism are the employers that everybody would love to work for because the culture counts and it's well tended by good leadership. So five stocks for conscious capitalism. Now, what also what you might think is consciously capitalistic might differ from me. There's no ESG litmus test that says this one is great at it and this one's not. A lot of it is beauties in the eye of the beholder, which I think is just a fundamental truism in life. So these were the five that I identified five years ago as stocks for conscious capitalism, alphabetically by company name, Echolab. Uh-oh, did I just say the name of a stock that we reviewed with Alicia that had lost to the market? Oh, let me keep going. The second is Etsy. The third is Next Era Energy. The fourth stock is Old Dominion Freightline. And the fifth and final stock for conscious capitalism from two years ago this week was Salesforce.com. So, Asit, let's take it in our traditional order. The first one we're going to cover is the biggest loser in this group. And the market is up 52% in the last two years. Echo Lab, ticker symbol ECL, is up just 23%. So we're sitting 29 percentage points behind the market as we cover this first stock. I said, I don't know how often you try to recycle or clean up your neighborhood or notice trucks going around, whether it's waste management or Echo Lab cleaning up hospitals. But I like these businesses that try to clean up our world. I agree, David. And I think with Echo Lab, you have a company that in terms of purpose is beating the market handily over the mm. last few years. But we have to remember, you created this stock sampler just before uh, COVID-19 hit. Different companies responded in different ways. Some were just set to prosper. Others were set to get just walloped by the pandemic. Ecolab was set to have sort of a wash, in my opinion, looking over what happened with them. Of course, they work in water purification, hygiene, uh, infection prevention solutions, all kinds of industrial treatments, even rodent control. I mean, this is a widespread business. It's trying to clean up the world, as you say. But uh, they had parts of their business that were flying high during the pandemic, sanitation, uh, working with hygienes for hands. These are in their health and life sciences segments. But they had other revenue streams that are dependent on businesses being open, like supplying mm. commercial laundries to uh, hotels or uh, supplying sanitizers to quick service restaurants that may have been temporarily closed during the pandemic. You would think, okay, after the pandemic, maybe now the market is going to recognize the strength of this company. But of course, now life sciences and health is facing very hard comparisons over all the momentum they gained last year. Hmm. And then the industrial segments are in turn, they're starting to rise. So it's almost like um, the strength and resilience of this business, the diversity of the revenue streams is temporarily working against it. But I like the characteristics that I see in Echolab and I, I like their capital allocation. I'll pause here to get your thoughts and, and maybe talk a little bit more about that capital allocation. Well, thank you very much, Asad. I, you know, I, this is not a company that I study or have followed very carefully. I tend to know 
my internet companies. I tend to know my entertainment companies, whether streaming or video games. So, But I, I think I've always not tried to be shy about picking companies outside of my real core competency, because otherwise we never would have had intuitive surgical, let's say, or Echolab, although it's it's sort of a loser right now. So so no, I, I, I can't say that I have any particular insights about their capital allocation any more so than the next common fool. I will say, though, that we've seen this kind of dynamic play out with other peer companies. Waste management is another leader in this kind of clean up the world. And waste management has also underperformed. The irony for Echolab and for waste management is they're underperforming because there's not enough waste being generated because we're not all out there wasting stuff. So that's a little bit ironic to me, but that's about all I have to offer. What more do you want to say about Echolab? Yeah, I think that uh, this company has some really fun characteristics. It grows at a, a decent rate and turns out net profit usually in maybe the 8 to 10% range, which is not bad as a percentage of revenue. And over time, they've built up a pretty strong balance sheet. So what do you do with that when the market is sort of ignoring your potential? Oftentimes, if a company goes out and makes a big acquisition, that's seen as a negative. Why aren't they generating that growth organically? Mm -hmm. But I sort of like it here. One example, Ecolab uh, announced, I think last month, they're going to acquire a company called PuroLight, which works in so listen to this, David, high-end ion exchange resins for the separation and purification uh, solutions industry. So this is something I like. They're investing in higher-end tech, but it's the same mission to hmm. clear up the world, working in purification, working in the tough stuff. They're doing this transaction, which is um, close to $4 billion bucks, with a little bit of cash on their balance sheet. But because that balance sheet is in such great shape, money is cheap. They're going to finance uh, the brunt of that. So um, this is a signal to the market that we're going to keep doing what we're good at. And at some point in time, maybe it'll help to pay attention to us again. And mm. I think that uh, growth prospects will improve because of this. Now, how much? I don't know. I'm not an expert in this field, but it did catch my eye. So I think for those who are interested in this company, maybe do some due diligence could be a buying opportunity at this point. Thank you for that. It is an underperformer, up 23 percentage points. Again, the market up 52 points. And yet, I think it's a wonderful company. It's been around for a long time. It will be around for a long time, doing some important good stuff in this world. So we don't always win with them in the near term, but I like to think this one will press on. We shall see. Asit, let's move from the worst performer to the best performer. We have a pretty good story to tell here with Etsy. Etsy, a stock I've talked about a lot over the years, picked multiple times in Rule Breakers, built a little bit of our market cap game show around Etsy. It has some history there for longtime listeners who would know what I'm talking about. Two years ago, the stock was at $40.68 the day after this podcast. Today, it's gone from 41 to 286 It's up 605%. That on its own is going to ensure that this five-stock sampler not just beats, but crushes the market, I think. So 605 percentage points against 52. We are way, way up when we factor in Etsy. Asit, would you consider maybe selling your red pasta sauce one day on Etsy? A lot of homebrew, a lot of craftspeople use it as a platform to create value buyers and sellers. Anyway, it's been a wonderful winner. What do you think of Etsy? Yeah, I would consider that, David. I think there is something about this brand which is so powerful. Um, Etsy, from the start, focused on artisans. They weren't out trying to ramp up and take on Amazon. They had their own niche. And it was great to see in the early days how much they focused on this global distribution, trying to help out even small entrepreneurs in Africa and other regions which aren't as economically developed as the U.S. I've mm. always admired that about them. What I really like about Etsy is that, you know, it's a platform business. So it's economic, look really nice on paper. They don't hold the inventory. They're the middleman for transactions. So you combine uh, great business characteristics with a model that so many people appreciate that's doing good in the world. It's an investment. You can just feel great about it, not just because it's mission oriented, but because the stock has performed so well. Um, so I think there are a few businesses that characterize this intersection of great business performance, stock performance, and um, socially conscious values. I will agree with something you said earlier. You know, it it means something different to everyone when you talk about ESG principles. And I haven't found a company yet that ticks off every last 
box for me. And I, I find that sometimes you have to concentrate on the really strong characteristics. Etsy has that in spades, just in the mission that it promotes through the world and the fact that it helps people move away maybe from work that they don't want to be in and mm. they can sell a product or work on their hobby or craft where their passion lies and make a living out of that. They've paved the way there. Last thing I'll say about this uh, briefly is I love their use of technology. They're really great at working on their product pages, making it easier for buyers to find what they want, making it easier for sellers to sell. They just work on the basics, just that basic blocking and tackling, uh, which is a characteristic of super strong businesses. Hard to say right now much that's, that's so bad about Etsy. Thank you for that analysis and that look back. I'm curious, Asa, do you think that this company has been accelerated by the global pandemic? Is that something that, that has contributed to the seven-bagger that this stock represents two years later? I think it has, David, but it's interesting. There are some competing platform businesses. And I don't mean competing in a sense that they go head-to-head with Etsy, but they compete for your and my uh, personal capital. Pinterest is one. They also had a lot of pull-through during COVID, but they're not seeing this type of follow-on effect that Etsy is. So I think that COVID was an accelerant, but it brought forward the characteristics that so many people in the investment community, community admire about that. It's ability to continually attract new users, it's rising metrics in engagement, uh, the fact that the company has this seamless, almost uh, Shopify-like quality store mm. that you can partake in with really easy to use tools. So I think the strengths have been highlighted and the acceleration is, is looks like it's here to stay. Even when you pull out their mask revenue, which they still have a lot of, uh, it looks like a strong business underneath. Mm. And one day, maybe a purveyor of an amazing combination of tomato and curry for my pasta. I'm looking forward to that. And I don't know if you're making an official announcement on this week's podcast or not, Asit, are you? Is it going to be available on Etsy? I must disappoint my future uh, <laughs> purchasers and say that I'm so busy with great foolish stuff now. It's going to be years. And besides, I've been working on this recipe for 30 some years. That's a bad signal, David. That doesn't mean it's going to hit the shelves next week. All right. Before we look at the other three stocks briefly, I want to mention, Asset, you've been doing a great job on Motley Fool Live. A lot of Motley Fool members uh, know that they can find you and see you on what I've call, kind of called the, the television channel on our website, whether it's the backstage pass for a lot of Motley Fool members or more broadly, sometimes morning show or other contributions in the morning, live.fool.com, backstage pass at the Motley Fool. That's how a lot of us have gotten to know Asset and many others a lot better. A lot of our analysts starring on that TV channel on our website. So before we move on, Asit, thank you for all the time you've put in to educate so many of us, me included. Well, David, thanks for the opportunity. Most of all, it's been so great to exchange ideas with other analysts and just take our business relationships to a whole nother level with a great audience. We learned so much from our audience. The, the inter interaction on that is wonderful. For whoever is subscribing and hasn't checked it out, Go to live, uh, go to our backstage if you subscribe to one of those products. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like CNBC, except we actually think long-term and we're interactive. And I think we're a little bit more fun too. But anyway, thank you, Asad. Let's take a quick look at the three other stocks in this sampler. And you tell me which one jumps out to you from the ones we haven't talked about yet, Next Era Energy, Old Dominion Freight Line, and Salesforce. By the way, I'll mention all three of them are beating the market. Next Era Energy is basically one percentage point ahead. It's up 53%. Uh, whereas Old Dominion Freight Line has more than doubled, up 179%. Salesforce somewhere in between those two. What jumps out to you, Asset, among these three? I think, you know, I love all of these businesses. I think, though, I, I am focusing on Old Dominion Freight Line. This is a smallish company which has a very family oriented approach to its employees. The less than truckload freight industry is a really difficult one to operate under. You've got regulation that's always there. There's a chronic shortage of drivers. Hmm. Technology is ever changing. You have to intersect with modal transportation. So think trains, uh, all types of different ways, ways and modes of shipping. But this company manages to increase its results uh, quarter after quarter. And I think it's because they focus so much on their people. Um, I was just reading through some reviews on the site glassdoor.com where you can see how 
public companies and uh, some private ones too are rated by employees. And I love the comments by truckers that talk about the decent hours, their belief in management, how friendly their other team members are compared to other trucking companies. This part of the freight industry is cutthroat. And I think this is a, a prime example of where focusing on people produces uh, financial results that are persuasive and shareholders recognize this. The stock has performed well because of this. You need to have extremely good management skills in a business like this. And it's not about, or it's not only about the purchases of trucks, the control of fuel costs, uh, the investment in platforms to match up this less than truckload world of, of pulling in all kinds of heterogeneous freight and then shipping it back out. Hmm. I think to me, what stands out is the, the people aspect, the, the uh, employee-oriented aspect of the business. Yeah, I totally agree. And that's the kind of thing, as you mentioned, happens probably more likely, more often at family-oriented, multi-generational family companies. I think human capital, to use rather a cold phrase for you and me, I think that human capital is better managed often, uh, more lovingly cared for uh, in these longer-term businesses. And that's part of the conscious capitalism that I see in Old Dominion Freightline. Well, let's go to the bottom line for this five-stock sampler. Again, we're two years in, so we have another year to see how five stocks for conscious capitalism will go. I will mention I'm on the board of the national entity, Conscious Capitalism. So when I picked these stocks two years ago, I was like, I hope this one does well. Otherwise, it'll kind of make this... It's not really fair to take five stocks and judge something, but if they did poorly... Maybe there wouldn't be as many conscious capitalism fans. Well, I'm delighted to say, with, with the market up 51.8% over the last two years, as a group, these stocks average a gain of 189.5%. So we're up triple digits on the S&P 500 just two years in with five stocks for conscious capitalism. I couldn't have hoped for any better. I couldn't even hope for half that good. But Etsy being a seven-bagger, uh, has really powered this this group of stocks. And Asad, I want to thank you very much for that thoughtful review of these five companies. This is the first time you've been on this podcast. There will be a next time soon again, because I really appreciate your spirit and the intelligence that you bring. And I'm hoping this gets me a free bottle of, I don't know, pasta sauce someday? You'll you just watch your mailbox again. It could be years, <laughs> <laughs> so maybe don't watch that mailbox. But one day, a surprise right. in your mailbox. And awesome. uh, thanks Charmet. so much, David. Yes, thank you so much, and fool on, my friend. Fool on. All right. Well, two down and one to go. Did we save the best for last? Well, let's find out. The day was November 14th, 2018. I went back and checked my calendar. Yeah, that particular week, well, let's see, I had a game night with my friends, you know, back when we did game nights together in person. And uh, and I went to a campaign supper for the Folger Shakespeare Library, which is a great asset in Washington, D.C. The most amazing collection of Shakespeareana in the entire world. The majority of first folios that still exist today are at the Folger Shakespeare Library. So there's a little bit of uh, Chamber of Commerce tour guiding on my part, bragging about something whose board I served on for many years. Anyway, a motley week. But in addition to those things, it was time to pick some stocks, five stocks that got trouble. And here to discuss them and educate us about these five companies and what's happened over these three years, my friend Yasser El Shami. Yasser, welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. Thank you, David. Happy to be here. And delighted to have you back. And, you know, the question I've been asking my guests this week, I'm going to ask of you too. I'm really curious because you've led such an interesting life. Yasser, I'm really curious what you're going to answer to this question. Yasser El Shami, what is something remarkable about you that most people probably don't know? Well, uh, if I was to name one thing, it would probably be the fact that I did not speak a word of English until I went to college. Um, wow. I, I learned English in college. Uh, in fact, I had almost completely Arabic education and, and, you know, going through primary, middle and elementary school. And then I went to an English language only university at the American University in Cairo. Um, and uh, there I was actually forced to just learn on the go and, you know, started learning, you know, economics in English and psychology in English and political science, which is eventually what my major was. So, uh, 
yeah, that's uh, that's probably one thing people don't know about me. That is remarkable. And I sure did not know that about you, Yasser. One thing I do know about you and the way you and I first got to know each other is that you started taking a real shine to investing and the possibility, like you're doing right now, of sharing your thoughts and insights with people who, who want to learn more about the world of investing and want to make better decisions with their money. And you did that Despite your public policy background, you you transitioned to Georgetown University's business school and you started coming to conscious capitalism conferences here in Washington, D.C. That's how you and I met. I'm mentioning that in particular because I just did five stocks for conscious capitalism with Asit. But thank you for that as well, Yasser, and for all you're doing for us at The Fool. No, and thank you, David, for all the work you do in conscious capitalism. Well, you're so welcome. Now, I know I'm thanking you, but I, I almost need to not thank you briefly because you're about to talk about the worst performer, and I never like <laughs> to lose. I hate talking about my losers, but I invite you on in part to do that. So I'm not really going to thank you for analyzing what has gone wrong with, well, the worst of these five stocks. But before we start that, let me mention five stocks that got trouble, which is headed to Fulhalla at the end of this podcast, were five companies all of which I think had declined 20% or more very recently back in November 2018. Now, old hands who've been following the market for years may remember, Yasser, you do too, that the fourth quarter of 2018 was a really bad time for stocks. I think you took the time to listen to that podcast three years ago. Thank you, sir. You told me before you came on that my own portfolio, as I mentioned to everybody at the time on the podcast, was down more than 20% that quarter. So I think, I guess I was looking for things that, that had some trouble because it was troubled waters for the stock market. That's absolutely correct. And, you know, this is one thing that we talk a lot about at The Motley Fool, which is the need and, and importance of holding through thick and thin. Uh, we try and be long-term investors. We're minded towards the big picture. Uh, we're not sort of easily swayed by volatility, and we do not let the market dictate uh, kind of our investing decisions. And so when some people hit, head for the hills, uh, when they see a 20% you know, drawdown on their portfolio, we kind of start you know, getting a little uh, you know, adventurous and say, hmm, where can I add? Maybe there are some winners here that I would like to hmm. build up the positions with. You know, for so um, I again thank you know you were you played a big role in kind of articulating this kind of long term oriented investing mentality, um, and this portfolio is a best example of that. Well, thank you. And speaking of this portfolio, which has survived through thick and thin, two words by the way that start with the letter. T, and that's another thing that united this five-stock sampler. I was having a little bit of fun. All five companies start with the letter T, stocks that got trouble, like trouble in River City, for those who know the Music Man. And here are the five company names, 2U, Take-Two Interactive, Teladoc, The Trade Desk, and Trex. So those are the five companies, and I should mention, how has the stock market done over these three years through last Friday when this one ended for good and went to Fulhalla? Well, the stock market over those three years up 72.9%, which is a pretty great three years. I would love it if the market would go up 73% more over the next three years. I doubt that'll probably happen. It's not a safe bet any three-year period, but Wow, Yasser, to see how well the market's done. It's a little intimidating when you're picking stocks needing to outperform that in a three-year period. So let's start with the worst performer, and it's not even close. In fact, spoiler alert, four of the five are beating the market, but that's not true of 2U, ticker symbol T-W-O-U. 2U, Yasser, was at 52 three years ago. It's now around 26. It's down. It's just about been cut in half. And when the market's up 73%, that puts you 120 percentage points or so behind the market averages. What has been happening with 2U? I know. What a laggard it has been. Almost losing half you know, its value over the, the three years. Um, so to you, for those who don't know, uh, is an online degree marketing company that has been trying to carve a niche in higher education effectively by making it easier for students to sign up for online degrees like master's degrees and PhDs and so on. They design curricula and programs alongside universities. They market them to potential students, and then they take a percentage of the tuition revenue. 
that the students pay over time. Um, their clients include very reputable universities, including my alma mater, Georgetown University, and your alma mater, David, UNC Chapel That's right. Hill. That's right. Uh, and so, you know, uh, there was, I think there, you know, there was definitely a lot of good ideas behind the recommendation of to you, uh, when you, when you made it for rule breakers. And then when you selected it, um, for this five stock sampler. Now, when COVID-19 hit and campuses across the world shut down online education, the companies that make it possible were seen as big winners potentially of a presumed generational shift away from mm. in-person attendance towards virtual education. But the story did not pan out exactly as predicted. Uh, and as we actually saw from the recent quarterly earnings of another online education company, Chegg, uh, the sky has not been so blue in that market this year. Uh, students are back on campuses and revenue growth is dramatically slowing down against comps from a pandemic year. Huh. to you has not been immune to these headwinds. Well, thank you for that. And that is uh, a good broad stroke view, the long view of what's kind of been happening. I mean, I still appreciate what this company is doing. It's definitely trying to transition ultimately toward a hybrid model. We've done a lot of hybrid work. Uh, hybrid education maybe doesn't work quite as well, though, sometimes as hybrid work can. Everything's contextual. There's no real broad brush answer I ultimately can give to whether this makes sense or not. We'll all figure out in the years ahead. But one thing's for sure, this stock has been a dog over the last three years. Anytime you're cut in half with the market up 73%, let's not mince our words. That is huge underperformance and a real disappointment. So let's go from the disappointment of 2U, Yasser, to the best performer here. A lot of us follow the trade desk. And when the market closed last Friday, the stock crested $100 a share. It was at 100.33. So that's the closing price for Trade Desk for this sampler. The good news is three years ago this week, it was at $11.65. So it's up 761%. And not to kind of overstate the short term too much, but even just a few days after last Friday, as we're recording today, the stock is at 111, up another 10% or so in just the first few days this week. Yasser, it has been a spectacular performer. It's also been a very volatile three years. What is your take on ticker symbol TTD, the trade desk? What an impressive performance this has been. And just to circle back to something you try and, and, and repeat you know, all the time on your podcast, which is the idea that you can lose up to 100% of your capital in a stock, which is rare, um, but it could happen. However, the gains are uncapped. There is no limit uh, on how much a stock can go up. And in this case, we have a, you know, a stock in the trade desk that has 8x over three years. Uh, that's just an incredible performance. This company has almost single-handedly reinvented the programmatic advertising space, uh, providing an online marketplace where sellers and buyers of digital ads can match their needs and prices. Um, and they, you know, they take a very profitable cut on each of the transactions uh, that happen on that on that marketplace. Now, this talk was punished for a while uh, by changes to privacy settings from Apple, where they ah, did yes. not, yeah, where they did not allow apps to track user behavior on the iPhone. And Alphabet also announced that it would discontinue uh, cookies on their Chrome web browsers, uh, which allowed advertisers to track, you know, the habits of, of browsers as they uh, as they did so in real time. Now, nonetheless, founder and CEO Jeff Green, who's who's a visionary founder of this company, maintained all along that they have built a new system to improve ad targeting without the need for cookies or app tracking on iPhones. Of course, the market ridiculed that. That was just simply, a, you know, almost a ludicrous idea to entertain that you could do without uh, cookies or, or iPhone app tracking. Uh, and especially with companies like Snapchat reporting dramatic declines in ad revenue mm. due to these privacy settings changes. The trade desk did seem for a while like it was in trouble, but in fact, the joke was on the street. Uh, the trade desk reported very impressive results this quarter with revenue increasing by 39% year over year. In fact, it could be seen as 47% in increase if we exclude the 
impact of presidential election ad spend from last year. Um, the companies also also reported very robust profitability numbers that beat expectations. Um, and Jeff Green effectively hailed this new digital ads paradigm called UID2 to end the reliance on what he called you know, walled gardens of Apple and Google. Um, and he suggested that UID2 is in fact more accurate than cookies. And maybe he's onto something here because I see this quarter as potentially a breakthrough moment for the trade desk and its clients. I mean, the trade desk is growing faster than the digital ad market overall, despite its big size and is taking market share uh, from competitors. So. You know, this is why winners win, David. Thank you for that analysis. This has been a remarkable stock. And one of the things I really love about the Trade Desk is my brother Tom has recommended it. I have recommended it. We've done it across multiple services, multiple times. This is a stock. If you're a Motley Fool member, listener, follower, fan, you can't have missed the Trade Desk. We've really underlined this one like Shopify and a few others. So I just love how many of our members and listeners likely have participated in this prosperity. And as you said, it is in fact an eight bagger. It's up 761% versus the markets rounding 73%. So a huge winner that's going to power this particular sampler to glory as it gets ready to ascend to Fulhalla. Rick Engdahl, a quick audio reminder of where we're headed. And before we go to the other three, briefly, I do want to mention, isn't it interesting, the two real power performers for the last two samplers we've talked about this week are companies that unite buyers and sellers, whether it was Etsy and an e-commerce framework earlier, or as you just mentioned, that's exactly what the Trade Desk is, a middleman platform enabling people to get their work done. They're not the buyer. They're not the seller. They're the platform. And look at these multi-baggers for these companies. And by the way, I won't speak for you, Yasser, but I love these companies going forward. We're looking backwards, of course, because that's what we do for a review of Palooza episodes, see how they've done. But every one of these stocks, including the losers, remains an active recommendation going forward. And so we'll, I hope, keep multiplying our returns. Anyway, that buyers and sellers, when you said that, earlier, Yasu, you reminded me that's true of the trade desk, true of many other great companies as well. So let's take a quick look at the three other stocks in this sampler before we say goodbye. Really happy to say we have another multi-bagger here because Trex, ticker symbol T-R-E-X, is up 339% over the last three years. The Composite Outdoor Decking Company, speaking of seemingly boring stocks that are four-baggers, what a wonderful win winner that's been. Teladoc, which has been such a fascinating story, has lost a lot of value over the last six months and yet still remains more than a double for this sampler. Take-Two Interactive just points ahead at 76% returns, just a few percentage points ahead of the S&P. But of those three, Yasser, which one do you want to pick out and say something about? Sure. Let's talk about Take-Two, uh, which was the last talk you just mentioned. Now, Take-Two Interactive has almost matched the performance of the S&P 500 over the past three years. But I believe... As you said, we're looking forward, we're not looking backward. I believe this is a business that should continue to benefit from secular tailwinds, not only in gaming, but also in the metaverse. Now, metaverse is, you know, that buzzword that everybody's talking about right now. We had now. to use it on this show, right? Yes, <laughs> of we, course. We're required to say it at least once a month, and you've just done it on this podcast. Thank you. Exactly. I would have been fired if I talked about, comp, you know, the composite composite decking company that is tracked. But by the way, that has been a great performance. You know, you don't hear a lot of investors talking about Trex, um, but that's, you know, why, you know, you're early, David, and you were right. Uh, this has been just a great performer. Now, take two, you know, should continue to benefit from these kinds of uh, secular tailwinds, uh, as I said. Um, they have probably some of the world's most popular metaverse-like franchises in Grand Theft Auto and Red uh, Dead Redemption. Uh, by the way, I, I was a big Red, De Red Dead Redemption fan uh, when it first came out, and, uh, and I played it for a couple of years. Um, Me too. Thank you, sir. Love that. And Red Dead Redemption 2, which is a very worthy sequel. I have I have had kids since David, so I haven't I haven't been able to play Red Dead Redemption two, um, but you know, Take Two Interactive has been hit hard, just like the rest of game video game studios 
by pandemic-induced production delays. Um, you know, they're, they're, all of the big studios, if you will, have had issues getting, uh, you know, their, their titles out in time to meet, first of all, the demand, but also just the logistics of being able to, to finish producing these titles. And so this has negatively impacted the stock. But, you know, this is a temporary setback in my view, and this company should continue to prosper long term with such strong uh, brand and, and franchises here. Well, and thank you for that. This is a company I love as a fellow video gamer uh, who has older kids so I can game again. I totally respect where you are, Yasser, younger kids. You probably should be being a good dad to them and not playing cowboy on your home theater <laughs> system as, as I do. But uh, let me mention about Take-Two Interactive. This is I'm glad you mentioned long-term. I mean, here we are with a three-year sampler. It was at 106 and a half three years ago. It's 187 today. So yeah, 76% gain, a little bit ahead of a strong market. But this is a stock we've had in Motley Fool Rule Breakers since September 2007. That really is the long game that we are playing. So our cost of $16.93 has been pretty great against uh, the gain up to 187 over a much more meaningful period, in this case, 14 years on the way to a 10-bagger. And I really like you. I like this business going forward. Metaverse. There, I said it a second time, ka -ching. But more seriously, um, really an interesting company. And one of the four of the five in this sampler that did beat the market, some spectacularly well. Yasser, I don't know if it's just that you're good luck or a good guy, but in either case or both, let's talk about how this one did as we send it off to Fulhalla. These five stocks taken all in all compared against a market average of 72.9% over these three years. Closed out last Friday with a total average gain per stock of 253.2%. That makes it a huge triple-digit winner in the plus column. In this case, more than a three-bagger as a basket of five stocks beating the market by 180 percentage points. This was a fun review of Palooza to do, not just because we had winning numbers, but because the companies themselves are so interesting, as are my very interesting analysts. Yasser, I still am scratching my head to think, you just learned English in college? Wow. Uh, so eloquent and so well-educated and so foolish. Yasser El-Shami, thank you so much for joining me on this week's Rule Breaker Investing. Thank you, David. Always a pleasure. Well, again, thank you to each of my guests, Alicia Alfieri, Asad Sharma, and Yasser El-Shami this week. Thank you to 15 great companies because, you know, behind every great stock pick, by the way, the bad ones too, are the real-world companies that are creating the products and services that you and I are buying, presumably in enough volume and frequency with enough happiness generated that we're happy to help those companies prosper with our consumer dollars or partnering with them. But as investors, we can be part owners of these enterprises. So there will never be a great stock pick unless there's a great company that that stock kind of sits behind. And you and I get to be part owners thanks to the miracle of the modern day stock market. And a delight to see three big wins for Review of Palooza this week. Let me mention only one of those is ascending to Fulhalla very shortly. The other two, we just checked in midstream and we'll be checking in the years ahead to see how they close out as well. I want to mention before we close that next week is the Rule Breaker Investing Mailbag. Yup, it's Thanksgiving week for us here in the United States of America. If you'd like me to speak to something, I'm working during a part of Thanksgiving week. So is my producer, Rick. We're going to do a podcast next week. We kind of need your great questions, stories, poems, thoughts to power our mailbag as we have every month for years now. So rbi at fool.com is, of course, the email address. Did you enjoy real estate investing with Matt Argusinger? earlier this month? Did it spark a question for you? How about the stock stories that were told last week by my friends Sanmeet, Jim, Emily, and Aaron? Did any of those stocks from Stitch Fix to NVIDIA spark anything for you? Finally, any reflections on the learnings you got from this week's Review of Palooza episode? We'll talk about it on Rule Breaker Investing next week. It'll probably be a little bit shorter because a lot of us are away and celebrating, but nope, Rick and I will be right there with you trying to educate, amuse, and enrich next week. Let me just say in conclusion for this week, yep, my producer Rick has specially chosen this full Halla music to send one very special sampler, five stocks that got trouble, 
By the way, never forget the trouble part and think about where those stocks came from to send this sampler along with the 15 previously off to the heavens. Now, not a lot of people still believe in the Norse gods anymore. I'm pretty sure that's true. I respect your viewpoint, whatever it is, dear listener, but I'm pretty sure that's true. But one thing we can all believe in, even if Valhalla is no longer as sought after or talked about as it once was, Foolhalla, I think Foolhalla's day is here. So to foreshadow then, there will be 14 more samplers in future we send off to Foolhalla over the next several years. But if you enjoy this exciting theme music, you're going to get to hear it over and over again as these Reviewapaloozas stroll by as the months and the years while away. So Rick Engdahl, thank you for Foolhalla. And by the way, if anybody thinks there could be better music, you can let us know, rbiatfool.com, for next week's mailbag. Five stocks that got trouble, ascend. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.